Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Saturday, January 11th. Bonus podcast from us at Cracked Rackets this week as Chris Halioris and I are still live at the Varsity Tennis Center covering the Oracle Pro Series event here, one of the first ATP challengers of the 2020 season. We have been fortunate enough to be in the booth all week long calling these night matches, and today was my first day getting to be here from the first tennis ball hit to the last. Joining me on tonight's podcast to recap all of our Day 5 action, you may recognize his voice from our work this week in the play-by-play booth. Of course, he is the forefather of the College Tennis Ranks formula, one of the many dames who roots for the Liberty Flames. Predictions never far from the listed UTR. Rhymes that, you know, clearly going to stay the same all the times. Chris Halliores, welcome back to the Mini Break Podcast. It's still a pleasure to be here with you. And always a pleasure to be here as well, Alex. It's been uh, been a good week so far, and it's uh, been a lot of fun. I feel like we're like two days away, though, from saying, eh, we could use a break. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're just a little distance. You know, maybe we can do this via phone call again. Or like, I feel like on Sunday I'm going to be like, just Chris, go, go sit on the other end of the VTC. I, I can't see you for another second. That's, that's so harsh. That's so harsh. <laughs> but of course, it really has been a pleasure being here today. And with it being day five, one of our favorite days of a tournament on Friday, it's that perfect crossroads between the quality of tennis gets a little bit better as we only have eight players left. There's also more condensed action. We get to see everything primarily on our center court. Only two matches today played on our non-broadcast court, our other live stream, two doubles matches. And so because of that, again, I got to see all four quarterfinals actions. I know you got to see three out of the four. We called three out of the four together. Overall, before we get into the specifics, really fun day of tennis. And I just think overall, big picture-wise, it speaks to, again, the level of play we've seen this week, Chris. Phenomenal from the get-go, and it's carried over to today. Yeah, it's, it's gotten better and better as evidence. You know, we'll get through each of these individual matches, but you saw the score lines today where lots of breakers, lots of 7-5s. I mean, it's just the 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 level of competition between the guys. Not only has the level gone up, but on both sides of the net to where we're getting just very competitive matches every match. And, yeah, the quality. I mean, the, the level of play has been just great. Some really jaw-dropping tennis being played. Only one three-set match in the singles action today. That was Ulysses Blanche and J.C. Aragoni. But as you mentioned, for Altmaier Lachem, six and five. For Roberto Sid, Roberto Quiroz, four and four, six and two. And Kozlov for Tangela. I purposefully left off who won those results because we'll get into that in a second. But you're absolutely right. All of these guys desperate to get their years off started in a proper fashion. They're all competing, and some of them are going. You know, they they want to be in Australia right now. This is not the end goal for them. The end goal, getting to that ATP Grand Slam level, putting themselves in a position to play qualities at the, at the slams, to play qualities at 250s, maybe sneak into a main draw of a 250 here and there. And 
the the big theme for me heading into these semifinals, and this is how we can get into recapping our day five action. We have three 21 year olds, Chris, making the semifinals in Ulysses Blanche, Stefan Kozlov, and then ultimately Daniel Altmeyer, who shocking to me that he's 21 years old. I think he's been in and out of the top 500 already twice in his career due to injury, but still, it speaks to, again, the challenger level, it's AAA ball, and that's not AAA in terms of the fact that the level is a significant diminish from the professionals, but these guys are itching to get to the ATP ranks, and they're getting closer and closer with each and every day. Yeah, I mean, obviously three 21-year-olds, uh, uh, hopefully all on their way up. And then I think the the, the fourth is 25, 26. maybe? 26. Uh, but, but yeah, the, the level's been been really really good it's the guy it's we're not seeing guys that are probably stuck career here these are all guys that we're going to see continue to rise move up in the rankings and hopefully get to see some of these guys playing you know uh, in the ATP the 250s uh, at some point uh, and even better for for maybe some but yeah it's been it, it's nice to see the young guys really coming coming through and and earning these points which is what you want to see first tournament of the year get some points under your belt uh, try to do that, you know, early, early in the season, and build up to where in the summertime, yeah, you're you're actually making a run now for some of those 250s. And we'll talk about those young guys in a second, since we got to call those matches together. But let's knock the old man out first in the battle of Roberto's. Our first match on the day, Roberto Sid, our number four seed, knocking out the number seven seed here, Roberto Quiroz, six four six four in straight sets. With this win, Roberto Sid finds himself at 232 in the live rankings. Should he knock off Kozlov tomorrow, he'll reach a career high right around that 218, 219 range. His career high currently 225 coming into the week. I mean, Roberto Sid, another uh, one of those college tennis players uh, who, after spending some time at USF, dabbles on the pro tour. I think this is his third full season. And I mean, he's inside the top 300, Chris. This is a floating All-American from USF, not to be disrespectful to the USF program, but it's not a guy who's on the top of your conscience if you've been following the upper levels of college tennis. Roberto Quiroz was that guy. He played three singles, had maybe the most prominent program of the 2010s in USC, was part of those Steve Johnson, Daniel Wynn teams. I made this reference on the live stream. If Daniel Wynn and Steve Johnson are the Sampras generation, he and Yannick Hoffman, certainly the Andy Roddick's, and then they got their three titles, not four, but they did follow up with a team title after Stevie J and Wynn left. And yet, watching this match, Roberto Sid at six foot four did so many things well. He moves well, really solid, absorbs pace well, targeted the Kiro's backhand and Kiro's as a lefty. That meant Roberto Sid had to find the backhand down the line as often as possible. He was able to do that. He tracked down so many extra balls, just kept making Kiro's play that extra shot. 69% on his first serve, uh, 33 of 42 on those points, 13 of 19 on second serve points. He saved both break points he faced. This was a really good performance for the one veteran we have left in the draw. Not not that Kozlov and Blanche aren't veterans, I should say. The geezer we have. The the only person who, if American, couldn't be on his parents' health care still. The, the old man in the field. And still, he's the he, the old guy in the field. And he uh, he just finished up at USF in 2016. So really only three, three full college seasons ago. So it's a guy that I got to see play in college. Uh, you know, he was still there uh, when when I was jumping into the college scene. Wait. 
just to be clear, oh, you got to see him. You weren't in college. You got to no. watch him. Correct. I like who's doing the math. Yeah. Wait a second. No, that 15, 16 year, the freshman year. No, for you all, look young for all while broadcasting yeah. for sure. But uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I was yeah, I was on the you know the thirty year plan. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm still working on it. But uh, no, yeah, he's a uh, yeah, he's he's the older. But no, he's he's really come as you said. You know, coming out of USF, not exactly the program that you're thinking. Hey, these guys are producing these top three hundred tennis players. But sure enough, uh, you know, he's he's come a long way. He's do he's moving up in the rankings as you stated to a career high and he's very very close to inching his way into that top 200 and it's uh it's been a great tournament for him and i'm sure this is exactly the way he wanted to start the year especially getting after he got that early early test in the second round from augustin Velotti, where they played that 15 13 third set breaker and he he was down at the first four match points i think in that breaker gets that big test early and since then He's he's kind of moved on, you know, in fairly easy fashion. So that's a really good point you make there, Chris, to talk about how you know slim the margins are here at the challenger level. On that, I think it was what you said, 13-14 point, as we mentioned during the recap that day. Velotti had the high backhand volley to extend the match, and he yeah. had multiple match points throughout. So this tournament really could have swung just right there from day Second one. Second round, he could have been out. And it speaks to how thin the margins are between these players and why we've seen so many tie breaks, so many 7-5 sets during this week. Yeah, for Roberto Sid now, he knocks off Velotti. He knocks off the number 15 seed, Sekou Bangora, 6-4-6-4. Knocks off another college, former college guy in Kiroz here as well. He's going to get probably, though, his stiffest, tough of, his stiffest test of the week thus far in his next match. And I know that's what you would expect in a semifinal round. But in Stefan Kozlov, his opponent, he's playing a guy who has slowly but surely built up his level to get back to where Stefan Kozlov, two-time Junior Slam finalist, former Kalamazoo champion, you're listening to this podcast, you know all of these things. You know my affection for his game. I refer to the way, the style he plays at as Kozball in that he just forces his opponent's to do funky things. He makes you uncomfortable constantly, whether it's a slice, whether it's an inside-out forehand, all of these different things he's able to do. Today in Roberto said he got to play the counterpuncher role. He got to absorb all of Kiroz's pace. That's not the way you're going to approach the Kozlov match. Now, for Stefan Kozlov, I think it's the other way. I think he got a good taste of what he's going to see in Roberto Sid in his matchup with Bjorn Fertangelo today. And for Kozlov to knock off Nakashima yesterday in three sets, then knock off our number one seed, Bjorn Fertangelo, 7-6. I want to say 6-2 in that second set. It speaks to not only the level he's playing at, but just, well, I, I guess really it's, it you know, quarterfinals to end last year in Champaign, made the quarterfinal, I think, a couple weeks before that of a challenger as well. He is playing some really, really good tennis, and, I mean, the 21-year-old American may be the most pedigree of any of the players left in the draw, including Altmaier, Blanche, and Sid. This is his weekend, man, and if this is how he's starting 2020, I am ecstatic. I said I'd swear off of it. Complete 180 here. I'm 100%, 110%, 115%. You name the number. I'm back in on Kozlov. What have you thought, Chris? Uh, you're just up and down. I mean, I'm, <laughs> you're in love with him, and then you're breaking up with him, and now you're in love with him. I mean, if you ever find time to actually have a girlfriend, I hate to see how many breakups you go through. 
but why but, do you think I've avoided it? Yeah. So, but no, I mean, yeah, Kozlov looked outstanding today. To your point, yes, experience-wise and big moment-wise, sure, he's he's got that over any of the other three guys here, having been to Junior Slam finals, right? I don't think Altmaier or Blanche or uh, or Sid are going to say that they've they they've been there, but in it. You know he had to he had to take on for Tangelo today that we thought we thought was going to be a very very tough test and yeah the first set seven six but he just I mean what impressed me the most today I expected to see you know the game you affectionately call the Cosball which we did see but I ex- I expected it to be a lot more counter punching and he really went on the offensive and he was just his inside out flat forehand was just something for Tangelo had no answer I mean he just when he when he broke that out most of the time he was very very successful with it and he went on the offensive he was attacking with that ball and he looked outstanding yeah to 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 follow up on that point you look at Stefan Kozlov he's the only guy with multiple challenger titles left in the field and you know, he hasn't won a challenger title since, I think, the end of 2017 uh, when he ended up winning in Las Vegas. But this is a guy who won the 2016 Columbus Indoor Challenger, a guy whose variety shines through in these moments. I think his serve is certainly uh, you know, helped out by the fact that we're indoors. And maybe the most funky stat we've seen on this entire week in this Kozlov for Tangelo match, Stefan Kozlov only makes 56% of his first serves, 23 of 32 on those points. That's pretty good. But Chris, this is not a guy who's six foot five, six foot six. He's a generous six one, six two. And he went 21 of 25 on second serve points today, 84%. That's as good as it gets. Yeah, we commented during the match, there's just there's no way that's all on his serve, right? I mean, something yeah. for Tangelo had to be either missing something or going for too much. And I want to say that second set, not indicative of how close this match was when it was competitive. For Tangelo went down a break in the second. There were some line controversies. There were really line controversies all week. And by the way, come to a challenger event because you're on the live stream you can't really tell on any of those calls so you don't want to presume one way or the other but being here for a week and i'm not criticizing the lines people i am simply if anything empathizing with them these guys hit the out of the ball they hit the cover off of it each and every time and these calls are you know razor thin the margins are so small the fact that you know sometimes a call is missed and i think you can only appreciate that if you're here in person that being said Kozlov, I think, of all of the winners today, even of Blanche, of Altmaier, he was probably the guy who handled—Roberto Sid didn't say a word, maybe one or two the entire match, but I thought for Kozlov—that's not—he didn't handle it the best, but he handled it well. He used it as a buttress to motivate him as opposed to getting sunk by it because there were some bad calls in big moments against both guys, and for Tangelo sort of sunk at the end while we saw Kozlov maintain power through in those moments. Yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he he definitely had some some responses to some of those calls for sure, but uh, but but he handled it he handled it very well, I think, to your point. Uh, and, and I wouldn't say Fertangelo handled it poorly, but I think he was in a spot where uh, some of those calls went against him, and it got and it was later in the match, especially that second set when he was already down a break. Uh, I. He, it kind of it really put him at a disadvantage, uh, you know. Whether, and and I'm not going to say whether whether they were good calls, bad calls. They were just controversial, and they they got to him, and and the set kind of got away a little quickly once he when it, once he got down uh, that break and started approaching a second a second breakdown. 
Yeah. For for Tangelo, he was the only one with a break point in that first set. In the second set, Kozlov faces no break points himself. Uh, for Tangelo, faces five, only able to save three of them. This was a really good match, despite the scoreline ending up the way it did. Uh, you know, 68 points for Kozlov, 51 for, for Tangelo. It felt closer than that. They brought out the best in each other. Fertangelo went through a streak there in that first set when he started snapping forehands. I mean, you thought the ball coming off his strings was hitting the tarp, and then it would just drop in. But you're right, Kozlov's ability to dig those low backhands out, use the slice to neutralize things, and then step up when he got the forehand he was looking for. It's why he's always been as highly touted as he did. It's why, when it looks right as a fan, I can get so excited about his tennis because... It's a gear I just don't think a lot of other guys have, but I feel like we've talked enough about Kozlov. We'll get the chance to watch him tomorrow in a really fun physical matchup with Roberto Sid. Let's talk about our other half of the draw because there were two other great matches. Before we get to the guy we have been raving about all week, let's start with our last singles match. The number 10 seed, Daniel Altmaier, taking on Eden, taking on and out the Garden of Eden himself, Eden Lashem. Altmaier, a 7-6-7-5 winner in the match, uh, saves the two saves one of the two break points he faces, but breaks on two of his three opportunities that end up being the difference in the match. This was an either or, Chris. Both of these guys hitting big. Both of these guys, uh, you know, playing smart serve plus one tennis. And Lashem was actually the guy who broke first in that second set. And we were both sitting in the play-by-play booth with all due respect to those guys, being man, f- us. Like, are we really going to get a third set here? And I don't want to say thankfully, but Altmaier stuck to the script. He stayed focused. He didn't let the break get to his head, and he put together a really good performance here. He's certainly the 21-year-old German back from injury has played better and better as of late. He, he, you can see why you know people get excited about him. Oh, he looked, yeah, he looked tremendous. Obviously, no breaks in the first set. He takes the breaker. They, we get into the second set, and right away, Lashem gets the break, uh, and then uh, at. at Two, two love, I believe. Altmaier gets the break. It was either two love or two one. I don't remember which, but he gets the break back, and they end up at two all. But uh, without getting, if he doesn't get that break back, yeah, we're probably looking at a at a third set. Uh, the the way those those guys were serving, but but Altmaier, I mean, just I, I love the game, love the game. Nice nice serve. Love the one handed backhand. Absolutely rips that backhand. You hate to witness history at Roland Garros where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground tennis channel plus is your place to watch stream every court from your phone or smart tv live in hd experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Pigeonhole him, but you see the elements of Philip Kohlschreiber in there, right? The beautiful strokes, beautiful form. We had this debate on there, the difference between him and our other semifinalist, Ulysses Blanche. The difference in their forehands, Blanche, a little more action on the ball, but the way Altmaier just drives through that forehand stroke, the way he can generate power with that big one-handed backhand loop. It's aesthetically beautiful. I agree. It was it was more fun than I anticipated watching that Lashem-Altmaier uh, match. Yeah, and Lashem, I mean, Lashem obviously didn't look bad either. I mean, really a seven, solid. Six, seven, five match. Yeah, he, he looked great too. It was just obviously both sets end up five all. And, you know, it's just those those very thin margins that make the difference. Five and, all and, money ball. And, and Altmaier comes away, comes away with both sets, gets the breaker in the first, and gets a break 
uh, in the second set after five all, and, and that ends up being the difference. By the way, to any of our listeners of this pod, if you missed the broadcast, quick poll for you, and you can tweet at either Chris or I at College Tennis Ranks, at Great Shot Pod, or at Crack Rackets, whatever it is you want to do. I suppose at Mini Break Podcast as well, as this is a mini break, but I called five all nut crunching time on the live stream, and you kind of looked at me, you were like, are, are you sure you can say nut crunching? <laughs> I'm not sure. I also said pissed off yesterday. I feel like that's a little bit borderline as well. I'm not going to ask Westoff for quacks on either of those, because... On this podcast, that's mild. You know, that's nothing uh, compared to some of the things I said earlier just on this show. But need a, need a ruling from you listeners. Is nut crunching time all okay? Because I'll say this. When it was nut crunching time today, Daniel Elpmeyer brought his A game. He did. And that's, I mean, that's what we expected to, to see from him. We, we watched a little bit of his match with Kova yesterday. Looked great. Frankly, I was hoping that's what we'd get because I, I just love watching him play and I would I wanted Both to see him, him play I made, another day I made this joke as well on the broadcast and maybe listeners of the pod are more age appropriate for this it's the Spider-Man meme right you're pointing at each other hey I, I recognized you that was Kova Altmeyer. this was literally two people who want to do the same things on the court so yeah that that match was as close as it was speaks to again how good each and every player is regardless of if they're still in college at this event and it's why I keep recommending if there's a challenger in your area, you're foolish if you're not going to that. You know, if you are listening to this podcast, it's clear you have a passion that exceeds normal for tennis. And by the way, we fully embrace that at Cracked Rackets. It's why Chris and I are here at this challenger event. And I cannot recommend it enough to you fans out there because the level of tennis, exquisite. Absolutely. I mean, that's it's it's tremendous. And if you haven't been to a challenger to see it, you absolutely need to go. I mean, if it's if it's anywhere anywhere within a drive that you can make, get out and go see some challenger tennis. The level of tennis here is is outstanding. I could not agree with you more. And I promised you thirty minutes since we've talked enough tonight, and yet we still have one more singles match to break down. So let's get to that now. Although I feel like at this point, you know what to expect. You know the deal. I don't need to tell you any no qualifications for you, Chris. But our last match was a guy we it seems we've called all but one match for. Uh, we missed his Kirkheimer first round match, but we called his other three wins this week. The guy I'm talking about, Ulysses Blanche, who's gotten better and better in my opinion as this tournament's progressed. He knocked off Kirkheimer three and six. Then our number Number two seed Noah Rubin, five and six. Last night it was six and two over Patrick Kipson. Today, probably his stiffest test thus far, just matchup wise. Noah Rubin, a fantastic player, as good as anyone he'll play in this tournament, Ulysses Blanche. Uh, but just it, that the fact that we were indoors, I think J.C. Aragoni with his serve, his forehand, his athleticism, can impose himself a little bit more physically in a way Rubin cannot, at least on the indoor courts. And today, I mean, the Aragoni-Blanche match, much like for Tangelo Kozlov, that first two sets really lived up to the hype. Big hitting, big forehands. The thing that I will continue to say, the most impressive shot combos I have seen all weekend. I'm not going to say by far, but I will say the most distinct, like distinctly, the best combination is the Blanche first serve plus the Blanche first forehand. He is winning so many free points with that combination. His stepping up on the rise backhand return also been probably the sneaky best shot of the week. He, Chris, I'm impressed. Oh, yeah, we're both impressed. I mean, we, we, we both sit here and watch him and go, how is he, you know, 
How What's is he, he doing here? How is <laughs> yeah. he below his career? How, you know, how is it just not a tr- uptrending chart the entire way? How is he not at his career high? Something obviously, you know, maybe some a few injuries last year, but yeah, he's looked absolutely tremendous. I mean, we've seen a lot of Tiafa, we've seen a lot of Michael Mo, we've seen a lot of all of these different guys, right, Chris? The fact that Ulysses Blanche, he might be ranked a little bit ahead of Kozlov right now, but he's outside the top three hundred, like that. That's shocking to me. The way we've seen him play this week, yeah, yeah, you would never know if you if you came in not knowing who was who and just watched the games. You would think, I mean, you'd have to come away thinking this guy's the top seed in the tournament. I mean, like you said, that serve plus one is just, he's. I mean, he's winning half his service games on that alone. I mean, you just there's there's no answer for that when he's hitting it. And and as you said, he he was going to get a uh, a little stiffer test from from Aragoni today. Aragoni early on, uh, even the first set that. Uh, Blanche manages to take. I mean, he gets he gets the first set seven five. Obviously, they end up at five all. Blanche gets a break in there. He wins that set. Same thing in the second set, but this time Aragoni gets the break and he takes the second set seven five. And he really was giving Blanche what we hadn't seen to date, and that was it wasn't everything being dictated by Blanche. Aragoni was doing his share of dictating, especially on his serve, and hanging right in there. But in the end, just too much. I mean, Blanche was able to impose that that serve plus one and just too much power uh, from the baseline. He was he was able to to stay on the gas, gets the get right away, gets an early break uh, in that third set, and and just kind of ran away from there. Yeah, I mean, Ulysses Blanche dominant on the first serve today. So many different strengths. Uh, when you look at the things he did well in today's game, uh, you look at again from the statistics today. Ulysses Blanche overall only made 60% of his first serves, but 41 of 51 on that first serve, 80% conversion rate, 21 of 34 on second serve points, only faced two break points and was broken once at the end of that second set. Uh, But you look at it, he created 11 break point chances for himself, converted three of them. He's just so dangerous from every portion of the court, and it's not just the offense. It's the defense, too. He hit some on-the-run forehand crosses that just, even though Aragoni was in an offensive position, maybe starting to inch in towards the baseline, towards the service line a little bit, Aragoni's either completely neutralized or immediately overwhelmed with pace, and that's just a testament to how live a wrist, live an arm, how exceptional an athlete Ulysses Blanche is. I've talked about this on the stream. He's listed at 6'2", 172. He looks a lot bigger than that in person. Maybe not height-wise, maybe at most 6'3", 6'3 and a half, but you know, he is a full 170, you know, a full 6'3". It's not like he's long and lengthy. This isn't a Daniil Medvedev body. This is a Karen Hachinov body. It's fully developed. And the firepower he, he's able to produce show, and that's why of all of the players here, you know, Altmaier, Kozlov, Roberto Sid, I think Ulysses Blanche is the guy heading into this final weekend where if he plays his best tennis, it doesn't matter what the other guys do. He's going to come away with the title here. Yeah, he's def- he is definitely the one guy that you think if he plays his game, he, d- he hits his balls, he wins regardless of how good the other guy plays. Uh, you can't be just because of the power and the serve that he's displayed. Any of those other guys, I mean, I'll say, you know, Altmaier has been excellent on this when he's hit his serves, uh, but still not the just sheer power off that baseline. Uh, if if Blanche hits those hits what he's been hitting, it's I don't know, I'm not sure how you're going to get away with 
with a win against him indoors. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. Um, I, I agree with you. I think he has looked that good, and it's going to be really fun, again, to see him match up in a guy uh, in Daniel Altmaier who's going to be trying to do the same thing. Not that J.C. didn't, although I do think J.C. will be a good warm-up for Blanche come tomorrow, although, again, one-handed back they're going to attack a little bit differently. But, yeah, Blanche looks very, very good. Heading to our final weekend, if we were the odds makers, he'd probably be our favorite, right? Even odds, maybe plus 250. He is the guy who, if he plays his best tennis, uh, I just don't know what you can do if you're his opponent. And he'll be our nightcap tomorrow, him versus Altmaier before that. Kozlov, Sid, Superivi, but our first match of the day will be some doubles, and the way we got there was the doubles we played tonight uh, on our stadium court, or our far court, I should say, our other stadium court, were two of the doubles matches that we did not get to see as closely. Galloway and Hawk, the number three seeds, knocked out Aleppo and Kiroz, dishing Kiroz two losses in one day. That's always brutal. Uh, they won that match 10-7 in the third set, but Roberto Kiroz can take solace in the fact that his fellow three-time NCAA champion, J.C. Aragoni, also a loser in singles and doubles today. They lost the two seeds, Martinez and Ramboli, 6-3-7-6. That leaves just one more result for us to talk about before we start getting to our winners and losers and preview tomorrow. That's the final match we saw on the night. Maybe the most excited our crowd has been all week was for this double semifinal between uh, Barrientos and Gomez and the University of Michigan wildcards Fenty and Seymour. Chris, in this match, Barrientos and Gomez ended up winning 4-6, 6-3, Barrientos and Gomez were up 5-0 in that second set before Fenty and Seymour uh, scrapped back with just a streak of incredible tennis. They were up 9-6 in that third set breaker. I was ready to jump over the rails. I had to cut off my mic because I was swearing too much. Uh, and then ultimately, Barrientos and Gomez, that experienced just too much. Fenty double faults on 9-10, gives them the match 11-9 in the third set. I know Barrientos and Gomez won, and that probably should be the story, but we have college tennis roots, so let's talk about the things that matter coming out of this. Two questions for you. A, what did you think about a smaller, subdued, but still, I would say, more efficient U of M crowd in action? You got a little taste of what this VTC can be like when it's rocking. Part B, Fenty and Seymour entered the season as the number five team in the country, and I have to say, after watching them play all week, I've bought in. I do think they are that good. I do think they're one of the best doubles teams we'll see all season long. What do you think about those two things? Well, I think uh, the, the latter question first, uh, to get to a semifinal of a challenger, be right there, nine all in a third set breaker. Oh, nine all. He, nine all. I'm sorry. He f***ing double faulted it away. It was crushing. Yeah, I mean, they they were there. So to think that a team that can do that, and it's not like they got lucky getting there. They beat a, a team that had Trey Huey on it the day before. And Nate Lammons. And Nate Lamb. I mean, you know, top 100 Huey, a former top 20 doubles guy in the world. Uh, and they followed up to show no, that's no fluke. We're right here in the at a nine-all breaker in the in the third, uh, and they just don't quite get there. But it's hard to see that being. How could that not be a top five doubles team in in the ITA? I mean, you know, that's got to be one of your top five college double teams. So absolutely, I'm super impressed with them. They've got to be the number one. You know, we we debated it. They, I don't see how you get away with not playing them at number one doubles. Uh, and I think that the doubles pairings look really good for for the University of Michigan coming into the season, given that and the fact that 
Beattie and Johnston, who played them in the first round here, were up a break in the second on them and played really well. So I, that's two, if they stick with those pairings, two really solid doubles pairings that you've got coming into the season. Uh, and to the former question, you the, the crowd, yeah, I mean, it's it's all centered behind one court because there's only one court of action going at that point or one court that the crowd cared about. But uh, it was, yeah, it was it was definitely a little more college atmosphere than a pro atmosphere here, you know, cheering on lost points. Uh, you know, it's not something you normally see at a pro event. Definitely a college-like atmosphere. But, yeah, I'm, I'm going to be kind of sad that I won't be here uh, next week for the NC State match, the home opener for uh, for Michigan, I would have I'd, I would have loved to have been here for that and seen it. But uh, but yeah, I think I I can imagine obviously, and being in here with the setup, uh, I can imagine what that what that crowd is is like and and what it's going to you know how loud it can get in here. No, I, I completely agree with you. It'll like I said, sneak peek, not the full thing. But if you're Fenty and Seymour, I think the big takeaway we learned: they're streaky, and when it looks good, it looks really, really good. Now they still have some things to clean up, but what you know from Coach Seinberg, Coach teams, they're always going to bring it in doubles. That's a staple of being an indoors team. You have to bring it on the doubles point. Ohio State does it. Illinois does it. I like to think Michigan does it as well. Uh, that is something that's been a strength of theirs, and I think the performance from Fenty and Seymour in this tournament show that in 2020, it's something that they're going to have to and probably will be able to rely on throughout the dual match season as well. But that's all of the matches we've hit. Let's talk top match, top performer, and then get to our next day preview. Chris, give me your thoughts on the day. Your top performer and top match of the day's go to. Well, I think the, the top match, uh, I think, well, I'll I've gone singles. It doesn't have to be Aragoni Blanche. No, I'll go. I've gone singles every day. I actually, I'll, I'll say that because of all the intensity at the end, the intangibles, the, the, yeah. The, the top match had to be that doubles match yeah. with Fenty and Seymour against Barrientos and Gomez. I mean, they it it almost looked like they they had gotten that first set. They were down love five in the second. It was just getting away, and if they couldn't turn things around, it was going to be over in a heartbeat. And all of a sudden, they get on a run. And then they turn things they, around. They get to 5-3. They get to a deuce point to break and get back on serve. They don't get it. They go to the breaker, but they continue that momentum and play well in they the breaker. They go up a mini break. They mini break. Uh, what's his name? They mini break Barrientos to go up 6-4. And, and then it just, you know, they just they couldn't get it from there. But, I mean, it was, the like you said, the, the intensity, the crowd. Mm-hmm. even and, and what made it so much fun was it wasn't just... I thought you were because we lost, but come no, on. <laughs> no, it wasn't just Fenty and Seymour that were getting into it and the crowd that was getting into it. Barrientos yeah. and Gomez actually got in, and not in a bad way. They were not— No, they, they loved it. They weren't taunting anybody. They weren't turning around and, you know, looking at the crowd when they hit it. It was amongst themselves. They were smiling. They were jumping up and down. I mean, that what Barrientos absolutely laid out, full-out dive for a ball. I mean, not a tennis dive where it's kind of a, you know, you know you're going to be able to do it and roll. I yeah. mean, it was a layout belly flop. And we're not on dive. grass here either. No, indoor hard. Indoor hard court. I mean, that's how intense these guys, and they, they, they wanted it as well. And just the, the fact that they were so into it as well made it that much more fun. That had to be uh, the top you know, the top match of the day. For the record, we can skip mine because I completely agree with you. It's the obvious choice. It's the only match that 
it's really felt like the VTC was rocking like it does during the college tennis season, and it's a testament to why this intersection of having pro events on college campuses leads to better atmosphere for everyone, because for Barrientos and Gomez, you know, you're always happy when you're in a semifinal of a professional tournament, but that's got to rank in their top three most enjoyable experiences at the challenger level as well. It was that good. Yeah, I would think if you ask them coming off the court, like, did you guys have fun? They would be like, oh my god, that was a freaking blast. They may even swear. I agree. Like, it was that fun. And, you know, for me to switch gears for top performer, I think mine's obvious. I'm going to go with Steffi K, who just not only did he look good, but the way he won today, being the aggressor, I don't think that's the path either of us saw for him to victory and that he was able to switch gears here, kind of do something a little bit different than he did against Nakashima, showing off the multiple talents he has, the multifaceted game that makes him such a special talent. I mean, I I don't like this, (laughs) but I agree with you. How can we both agree on it's both, a, it's, it's like a, both points? You know how when people live together, certainly certain bodily functions become in sync? That's us uh, right we, now. We've been we in a... hands and go to the restroom? Yes. I mean, I, <laughs> I've been peeing during the play-by-play. I, I just That's usually when I tap your leg, it's to say, hey, I'm peeing right now. Yeah, but no, I completely agree. I mean, Kozlov was... I it Definitely, I did not expect him to win the match. I certainly didn't expect him to look that good. And he was... I mean... He won. He won in straights. He looked extremely good. I couldn't have been any more impressed with with him today's. And so, absolutely, he gets he gets my, my you know my performer for the day. And I'm sure that will mean a lot to him, as we saw today. He came out on fire because he listened to last night's pod. Um, that was a joke, listeners. Although we are hoping to get Steffi K on the pod at some point this week. But that leads us to our preview of tomorrow. Only three matches going to be played. Half the doubles final already set, so they don't have to worry about that. Chris, those three matches, it's going to be Galloway and Hawk versus Martinez and Romboli. That's the three seed versus the two seed. Kozlov versus Roberto Sid. Altmaier versus Blanche. We kind of talked about the matchups a little bit. So give me your favorite match. And then for the singles matches in particular... What does a Kozlov win, Sid win, Blanche win, Altmaier win look like? Well, I mean, I I love both of these singles matches. I mean, I know you're going to be amped to, to watch Kozlov. No, I'm right? happy. I feel like Blanche and we're a package deal at this point. If Ulysses Blanche is playing, Chris Halliorson and Alex Gruskin will be on the call. I mean, but, but the so yeah, there'll be two different kinds of matches. But yeah, again, I keep, we're watching Blanche. We're in awe of the power. We're... We're sitting here wondering how the heck does this guy lose a match, especially in this atm- in this indoor hard court, you know, condition. Slow indoors means he gets a clean look at everything. And and we're I'm um, I'm sitting here wondering, and and so I just keep wondering, are we going to see how he loses, or is the guy just going to run the table in, <laughs> in straight sets every you know all the way through? Granted, it wasn't straights today, but uh, but you know, yeah, he's just looked so good, and and you know, you know, I love watching Altmaier play so I mean that's going to be watching Blanche and Altmaier I think is just that that's a match I'm really really looking forward to and then and and Kozlov uh yeah it's interesting it's this is you know this is uh, I think a really really big tournament for him he's got you know he wants to put big points up early on he you know he had a he was up high a couple years back has has dipped a little bit but what a I mean what an opportunity sitting sitting in front of him he's in the semifinal tomorrow got a great I mean it's not like 
he's drawn a top 100 guy, which in some cases you can get in some of these tougher challengers. It's a superb opportunity for him to make it to the finals, and a finals run for him in his first challenge of the year certainly are, are the big points to get him back inside the top 400 that he was sitting out of coming into this tournament. And what that means for him is probably direct entry into whatever challenger he wants to go play, which is huge. So uh, so I think it's a big opportunity for him and really looking forward to seeing to seeing that match as well. Yeah, I, I think for Stefan Kozlov, the thing I'm most excited about tomorrow is you see the path to victory for him. And I think all week I've made clear I would like the young 21-year-old American battle in the final of Kozlov and Blanche. If not them, you know, I wanted Nakashima and Blanche. I wanted just something fun and American for this final. So um, I'm biased going in. Don't tell the people on the play-by-play call, but that's what I'm rooting for. I think the thing for Kozlov that makes me so excited, makes me think he can make this final, I just don't know how Sid's going to hurt him. I I know Roberto Sid is going to be relentless. He's going to make the match physical. But that's sort of what Stefan Kozlov wants to do. And I just think matchup-wise, again, half of this thing, half of these battles are about how do you match up with your opponent. And I think this is a particular—I like, think Altmaier would have been a way worse opponent for Stefan Kozlov. The same way I think Blanche, because of his speed, the way he absorbs pace, would have been a more difficult opponent for Ulysses Blanche. But, again, we just saw what Blanche did to Altmaier and— not to say him and JC are the exact same player, but we saw what Blanche can do with that style. It doesn't really matter to him. Uh, you know, Altmaier's not going to try and extend points and make them long. It's going to be slap, slap. One of them's going to hit a winner. I just think the way the matchups worked, Chris, as Amer- you, may- you talked about it on the broadcast, J.J. Wolf just made a challenger final in Numia. I think that, uh, Dennis Kudla is playing in the semifinals right now to make the challenger in Canberra. I would like to see the Americans sweep all three challengers this week on the ATP side, and it seems really possible the way JJ's been playing one of Kozlov or Blanche in this way, and then Dennis Kudla as well. Really fun start for the American men to 2020, and that's what I'm hoping continues here in Ann Arbor. But any final thoughts from you? No, I I think you pretty much summed it up. Yeah, and so as we mentioned, we will be here throughout the rest of the weekend at the Varsity Tennis Center enjoying what is Pro Tennis's return here to Ann Arbor. Obviously, semifinals, uh, semifinal action tomorrow for all three matches, finals action on Sunday, all of which you can find our play-by-play call at our livestream.com slash, not backslash, ATP. I learned that mistake, and if all of you are like, that's why the link never worked, Alex, because you kept saying backslash. Nope, it's slash. Uh, slash ATP, but of course you can find Chris and I there for the rest of the weekend doing these podcasts each night, recapping the day's action. We're going to get some cracked interviews out of this at some point, I promise, so be on the lookout for those. Uh, shout out, again, the Twitter accounts, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, tw- uh, the Twitter accounts, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, sorry, the social media accounts such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. It's all at Cracked Rackets at this point. You know where to find it. Like, rate, subscribe, review. Shout out to our sponsors this week, Top Notch, Oracle, UTR, and of course our friends at Aerobar who make these sort of trips possible. So appreciative to them. And if you're interested in an Aerobar product, the promo code CRACKED30, C-R-A-C-K-E-D-3-0 to get 30% off your first order of goods. Chris? going to be a really exciting day tomorrow, and I know we are both amped for that. You know who's not amped anymore? Our super producers, Max Lingner and Daniel Westoff, who routinely have a f*** of an editing job to do, and they must be just – I mean, they're probably going to be happy tonight. We're sending this to them at 9.19. Yeah, it's, it's almost – it's only 20 after 9, and yep. we've been sending this crap to them at 11.30 at night. The counter is it's a Friday. They're going to be like, really? You gave yeah. me a 42-minute bonus pod? Well, pfft. 
to you, Westoff and Fligner. You guys should have come here this weekend. Fligner, I know you're here. Actually, Fligner did come here this weekend. Maybe I shouldn't tell them about the one obscenity they need to find that you didn't list. (laughs) I like to leave one in there to keep them honest, of course. Um, But no, shout out to them as always, of course. But for my wonderful co-host, Chris Haliors, who again, you can find him and I on the play-by-play stream all day long throughout the rest of this weekend in Ann Arbor for our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, and for our entire teams at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell them? Hey, that's the break. We hope you enjoy your weekend, and we hope you watch some Challenger Tennis with us. We will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.